We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. what you'll get with the podcast, but I can promise you this. It will be longer than the ball was in play against Newcastle. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Pittigal, Blackman Twitter. Gunner, hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're feeling upbeat. You know, we drew a game. Not the end of the world. Don't know if you've looked at the table lately, but we're still on top of it. So, like, it's all good, everybody. I think I think we can take a deep breath. I think we can be happy. I think we can feel good about where we are. And obviously, we're about to drop 172 million pounds on a guy from the Ukrainian League. So that's going to be good. I can't wait for that. Kidding. Sort of. Maybe we'll get to that. Maybe there are other deals in the offing. Mikel Arteta might take one less five-hour energy drink before he gets on the touchline next game. We may talk about that as well. There's a lot to discuss. And as always, um, you know, we did an instant reaction to this game. You can check that out on Patreon. If you'd like to sign up for Patreon, like there's a couple of things you may not know we do over there. We do scouting videos where we use a professional scouting platform to look at players we're linked with or interested in or our loan players. Um, we do instant reactions after every game. We do match rewatches where we literally watch the video with you and, uh, you know, there's video and audio version and we talk through moments, we pause, we rewind, we look at maybe things we didn't notice during the game. Of course, we just have regular audio podcasts. Um, there's data-based uh, episodes as well, which, you know, is probably a reason not to sign up all by itself. I'm kidding. Uh, but so there's lots of stuff over there and we'd love to have you there. And, and it really helps us do some of the exciting stuff we're going to be announcing for everybody uh, in the next couple of weeks. Having said that, I think it's so important to make the point that we're just so happy you're here on this one and that there will always be these, you know, post-match pods that are out for everybody twice a week. Um, you know, and, and it's just, it's just a wonderful community. I, I think lately I've been in so many interesting conversations about Arsenal and because everybody's enjoying the season so much, everybody's obviously quite a bit nicer, but I have to say, even when things were at their lowest moment, I've met wonderful people. Thanks to this podcast. So thanks for being here. We're really glad you're here and here with me now to discuss things of more consequence than the pablum I have just spat out at you. is Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you doing apart from that? Are you good? 
apart from that, I am doing well. Yes, thank you. I, I think um, I have great anxiety that the, the fact that we record these pods lately now at like 7 a.m., 7.30 a.m., 6.45 a.m., local time, my time, uh, that you are not going to get the best out of me. But I think some would argue that that is actually in keeping with the tradition of the podcast. So I think we are perfectly fine. Clive, a lot to get to in this yeah. game. Um, it is a draw against the third team in the league the meanest defense in the league. I don't think that there's anything particularly wrong with this. I think the reason for the angst over it, frankly, is, you know, once upon a time, you could draw games like this and be fine in a title race. But given it has taken as much as 98, 99 points to win a title in recent seasons, there's a sense that you can never drop points. And to be fair, we haven't done much of that this season. So it's a disappointment, but certainly not a disaster. Where I want to start, though, is what I think could be lost in this game because of all the other stuff that went down. And that is an opening 15 minutes where once again, we were absolutely scintillating, sensational, ripped them apart. And it starts with an Odegaard volley over at four minutes. We already had them pegged back. Saka drives to the byline. Can't find a teammate after he beats Dan Byrne. There's sustained pressure. Shaka has a chance blocked in the sixth minute. Saka drives through the middle. I don't know if you remember this, seven minutes. Saka actually gets it in a counterattack and drives all the way through the middle right? And instead of going to the flank, now he has Ben White on the overlap to the right, but he doesn't. He gives it to Martinelli. Martinelli slides it to Shaka, but it's a little heavy and he tries to slide it across the box, but he slides out, uh, you know, um, over the the byline. That's at seven minutes. By the ninth minute, we had 85% possession, five shots to zero. Okay. So this was total domination to start the game. And, um, you know, I'm just, I, I'd like to at least spend a minute getting your take on that period because after that, obviously, the game changed quite a bit. But I think that that was more evidence of the kind of pressure and dominance we can exert in a game, and especially early in games, which has been what we've been doing all season long. Yeah, it's almost like Ali Foreman ends out here. Loads of overhand rights in the first round. Mm-hmm. Let you know that we're here. Good reference right? there. And, um, and, and we do this quite regularly now. So it tells you something that our team talks and pre-match warm-ups are tip-top, right? Because we score a lot of goals in the early part of both halves. So we are well-motivated and we are listening to the manager. So that's a good thing. But I will say to you, even and I'm not, I'm not a hindsight thing, even within that first period, mm. there was a level of tension around. And I think you, <laughs> you can't fool people. Newcastle are a big side. They're a strong side. And even though we were running through them, there was like a feeling of their seriousness, do you know what I mean? And their commitment levels. And I think it put a bit of pressure on our touches around around the area. And I know we spoke on the instant reaction about this. I don't think it was the most beautiful night's weather. And uh, I think that also affected things a little bit, even though Tim, we had a chat with Tim offline, didn't we? And Tim said, we talk about weather. He's like Barbados in that ground. Right? So like, um, but I don't think it was Tim. <laughs> so like, um, and so... Um, so yeah, we were just a little bit inaccurate around the box, Elliot. And and then what happens then? What we tend to do, or what I tend to do, is I try to look at, okay, what's the next thing? I get back into development discussions around how yeah. to develop our play. And this, this isn't a critique of anyone's performance, but it's like, okay, when we see this again, what's going to happen? So for me, the, the overall takeaway from the night, there many takeaways, and we'll get onto them, but I think Newcastle entered our consciousness this night as what mm-hmm. they are, and what they could be, right? And and also, the way they played is a problem for the game and could be a problem for us. So the next step for my brain is, how can we solve this, right? And, um, and it's a collective we, the game, 
and the way they played, and we from how do we beat this play style. Right, and um, so yeah, that's what I walked away with from the game. A really, really interesting night of football. Yeah, I I loved the way we came out of the blocks because it's the best defense in the league, and they they really didn't have answers. But as you know, in football, you're never going to dominate a whole game. Certainly not against a team like Newcastle. And we needed the goal there, right? And there were just those few moments, and something changed. So Enkedia goes on a long run in the 14th, 15th minute. Length of the pitch, finds Shaka, Shaka mishits it. It's another really good opportunity. A lot of just nearly moments like that. And then shortly thereafter, Bruno Grimarish gets a yellow and Callum Wilson gets a yellow. And they start getting physical. And I think, you know, a lot of people say they came to the Emirates to play that way. Arteta, interestingly, after the game said, that's not how they want to play. Yeah, We made them play that way. Now, whether you agree with him or not is beside the point. Because I've I've seen both both sides of that argument. Clearly, around that 15-minute period, they started to kick in physical mode because they could not live with the movement. They could not live with being pushed back the way they were. And I think they got those yellows. And I don't know if this goes back to last season's game at Newcastle, if it goes to the pre-match talk, and you know maybe Mikel had our guys fired up. But I think there was a real desire on our team's part, Clive. This is just a sense I get, obviously, yeah. to show that we weren't going to be bossed physically like we were at St. James Park, that we were up for the physical fight. And I actually think in that period that goes starts around 15 minutes and then really progresses to halftime, we got caught up in the physical side of it. We got caught up in the refereeing decisions. We got caught up in the yellows, not going our way, going their way. They were doing a lot of rotational fouling. You know, then we had Odegaard get a yellow right for a pullback, and Kedia gets a yellow. Um, there, there, were, there were some calls that I don't think were right, but whether I think they were right or not, and I think the referee has a tough job, and I'll come on to that in a moment, but I, w- I want to get your take on how you think we reacted to them starting to get physical. Because for me... The level of frustration with referee decisions and the extent to which we started to grab and pull and, you know, get physical as well. I understand. I know you like it. You have to stand up to the physical challenge. For me, I thought it took us out of our game a little bit, that, that we took our eye off the ball. Yeah, we were taken out of our rhythm, and it was hard to maintain rhythm in the game. And the reason why that happened, Elliot, is that every time there's a card, there's a stoppage. And when we, what Newcastle did well is they tried to manage the referee, and so... When the referee, when you manage the referee and, and, and then he starts giving out cars, and then they say, Well, what about what about that card over there? And then, then another car comes. Mm-hmm. And if the referee allows himself to be bullied, what then happens and you attract the players you like bees around a honeypot? Every single tackle, five players running at him. And then it takes time for the game to restart. So that's what they want. So you may summarize that as we took our eye off the yeah. ball. No, we didn't. We were just we got maybe a little bit referee-obsessed. We felt a bit of injustice in some of the decisions, and we wanted to make sure we evened the game up. But while we're doing that, we're taken away from our flow. almost wish that one of the things that they would say after this as a coaching group would say, hey, next time there's a foul, put the ball down, play. Put the ball down, play. Don't worry about their cards. Put the ball down, play. Keep playing, because our way of beating these lumbering teams is to keep the ball moving and keep it in play. And then they will eventually weaken and the gaps will show. They were able to maintain their fitness, even though they were cramping up towards the end, because the ball was not in play. And the ball and, and that was the referee decision. The referees, I don't want to talk about referee decision. I want to talk about game management. The way he mm-hmm, managed yeah. the game was poor. 
and he allowed incidents to be the main thing rather than the game being the main thing. So you've re, you've re, um, you've replayed some of the early parts of the game in it to the minute, right? I'll tell you what, mate. There wasn't that many moments you can remember in the game, really. They sort of all stand out to everybody listening because there wasn't enough flow. And if I was at this game live, it wouldn't be one I would want you know want to rewatch again. Do you see what I mean? Because I think yeah. it was it was quite turgid and it was made that way. And I've got to say one more thing, right? You said something on the instant reaction, which I thought was genius. And Mm. Please repeat it then. I'm going to repeat it. Because you said... (laughs) Thank God. You said there were two different games on show here. There was one, the way Arsenal were trying to play. And there was one, the way Newcastle was trying to play, the majority of that game, which were polar opposites. And the referee Mm. had a choice on which one he was going to enable. And to many Arsenal fans today, with the injury time, the stoppages, and the way that game was managed, he chose to enable the non-football game. And I think that is an issue for the game. And we have to remind ourselves, there are 60,000 people paying £3 million worth of gate receipts, and they're the most important people in, in this, and all the millions watching on TV around the world. And you have to decide as an arbiter and a controller of the game, which game are you going to enable? I'm not saying they can't do what they want to do, but there must be a cost for me because the game overall is what I really, really care about. Did I, did I paraphrase your quote appropriately? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll expand on it slightly, but I will give you this data that Scott uh, put in our in our Discord. This was our third lowest game in terms of ball-in-play minutes. He has it at 53 minutes, ball in play. The only lower game is interesting. Um, Chelsea at 52 and United at 53.1 versus 53.4. So essentially right there tied about eight to 10 minutes, depending on whose data you look at, lower on average in terms of ball and play minutes. Um, And certainly I think people were feeling that frustration when the board went up for five minutes in the second half. I think my point with the two games thing though is that like, I have always believed that one of the hardest things for a referee to deal with, and I, I, I sympathize with referees for this, is rotational fouling as a strategy. And to be clear, it's not just anti-football teams. You know, it's not the Burnleys and the Stokes that rotationally foul. Manchester City rotationally fouls with the way that they stop counterattacks. They're one of the most fouling teams in the league, have been for a long time. I, I believe that's correct. I'm sure someone will pull up the data and be like, Elliot, oh, yeah, they've been lowest for 10 years. But, you know, let's just pretend I'm right because, <laughs> you know, facts don't care about my – your your feelings don't care about my – no, my – my feelings don't care about your facts. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> I think the problem for a ref is when there's rotational fouling, you can't book them all. Some people say you should. But let's say 11 players each commit one foul. Do you give any bookings? Then the other team responds, and one player fouls twice, and he gets a yellow, and the home crowd goes nuts, and it feels very unjust. Unjust. I think rotational fouling is an effective strategy that is hard to referee, and it does kill the game. And I, I want to be clear about something, though, because I think it's important to say this, Clive. I have no problem with the way Newcastle played in the sense that this is, it is their right to come to the best team in the league with one of the best attacks in the league and play in the way they had to, to get a battling point. Yep. And it was our job to find a way through. Did the referee get some things wrong? Certainly. And we'll come on to a couple of the penalty decisions and, and, and did they get away maybe with a couple extra fouls that, that if they'd been carded might've impacted the way they could play? I, I think so. I, I think it is very, very hard to referee rotational fouling 
because unless you're going to give a yellow to every player on the pitch, I don't know how you manage it. So I don't know, Clive. I, I do want to get more to what I think is a sort of interesting side to this that that has been a big debate is, and, and you called it brand Newcastle on the instant reaction. I mean, like, I think, I think it is okay to play whatever football gets you the result you need. I am a pragmatist. Now, you know my feelings. I think good flowing attacking football will get you more points over the course of a season. But there were certainly times under Arsene Wenger, for example, that I wish we'd chosen pragmatism. You know, there were certainly times when yep. I, I can think of a 6-0 at, at Stanford Bridge, right? I can, I can think of some, some times when pragmatism would have helped. You know, your principles have to be flexible. Um, I think Mikel Arteta showed his principles could be flexible when he first arrived. Like, look at the way we won the FA Cup. We couldn't play this football back then, so we didn't. Um, what's your take on the way Newcastle approached this game? Because I, I don't... I don't find the ability to have any really indignation with the way they approached it. It was our job to break them down, and we couldn't. Yeah, I asked an open question. Is this a good night for brand Newcastle? Mm. And when you, I, I probably asked it a bit early. If I asked it today, I would have got different responses. When you ask it with well, 10 minutes to go, people are going crazy. They could, cause they were saying, because it's too emotional, right? And um, it's too close to the game. And the reason why I said this was, the way they were sold to me with their this swashbuckling team up and down the pitch, maybe I need to look a bit closer. Maybe I need to look a bit closer pre-game. And in the highlights that I've seen, all I've seen is exciting type football and big crowds and all the rest of it. I'm thinking, okay, they're going to come and play. Well, they didn't come and play. You know, so I think, okay, let's think about this. Let's think about this. What's happening with Newcastle? I started to think. They bought four or five English players that have come in that are hardworking. And I do feel the Premier League is looking for a story. We happen to be the story this season. But they're much more comfortable with a, with a British story. Let's be honest, right? We're the British game, English media, blah, blah, blah. They signed four or five English players to put on top of what they already have. They've got English coaching set up. It's coming. The, the washing is working, shall we say. You know what I mean? The washing machine is spinning around in a different way. Let's not so talk about because we have the bones of a great young England team in our squad, but that's, you know... Yeah, well, that's the, we're, we're Arsenal, right? And we have this crazy yeah. foreign manager on the sideline jumping up and well, down, Well, I think right? also, Clive, we're London. They're up north, right? Yeah. There's some of that too yeah. going on. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm, I'm spitting out narratives here, right? People can take from as they see fit, right? So, um, but I do think this is such an... In, they, in Newcastle, uh, an interesting team, and I think the Premier League is almost waiting for them. They're waiting for them. They're setting the they're setting the ground for them. They're waiting for the, this superpower to land, and they're and they're putting their st- they're staking the ground around them. And um, but I also think if you ask me, was it a better night for Arsenal? Was it a better night for Brand Arsenal or Brand Newcastle? I actually feel it was a better night for for Arsenal because. Lots of respect were paid to us on the pitch. There was a certainty and control by which we played that dominated a team that's in form, a good side. Mm. And if anything, Newcastle showed their limits. They immediately showed their limits. And if you think forward, and Eddie Howe's jumping around today feeling very happy, and um, his mate next to him, I call him Jason Tinder because he's a good-looking lad, and and I'm sure a lot of women like to swipe swipe to see his face, right? So, um, and good cop, bad cop situation with him, and they're they're feeling they've they've done a great job, but there's a, there's a limit to their job, and it was shown in this game, you know, it was shown for me, and I, and, I, and so I think it's a really interesting night. Newcastle have entered my mind now. 
they're in there. And we're going to talk about Newcastle a lot in the, in the upcoming months and years. And they've walked into the room. And that's the way they walked in. This could be the phase of the project they're in. They need to solidify, stop conceding goals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They've got the meanest defence in the league. But, mate, they're here now. Now the light's going to shine onto them in a different way until in pre this game. And I think it's going to be so interesting to see the way they're consumed by the general media and, and the general public. Funny story. Once upon a time, my friend and I uh, started a, a little company to build a new dating app. So instead of calling him Jason Tinder, you could have called him Jason to date, which was our, which was our dating app. But unfortunately <laughs> uh, our, our brilliant dating app, which was designed to, to, to create some class and sophistication to the whole thing and, you know, bring people together for love and dating. That didn't work. People just want to swipe on faces. So, you know, I'm not bitter about it though. Uh, <laughs> look, the, I do want to, I do want to dive into a few uh, performances in this game that I, that I think are relevant and, I was pretty harsh on Gabriel Martinelli and the instant reaction. And I think sometimes because I'm such an admirer of his and have been probably one of his biggest supporters from early on, I will confess that at times I feel I need to be forceful in my criticism, my critique of him when I'm critical of him so that I don't come across as being biased in his favor. Now, you know, it's kind of like feeling like you got to over-criticize your kid if your kid's playing sports so that people don't think you're, you know, being biased towards your kid. Like, I just, I adore Martinelli. I think he's a supreme talent. I think he's been a little rough in the last few games. Now, to be fair, he went up against a very tricky opponent in Lamptey against Brighton and finally got the best of him late on. He's going up against the best player Newcastle has in this game, right? So you got Saka roasting Dan Byrne left and right on one side. And you got Martinelli working on Trippier's side, which is which is harder. Um, but I, I do think that lately he's been a little more focused on trying to beat his man, not necessarily getting his head up, not necessarily making the easy pass. Just some of the execution hasn't been there. And we did discuss when Jesus was playing how much of an impact he's had on Martinelli. Yeah, good point. I noticed that Martinelli exchanged one pass with Nketiah in this game. I don't think they have the same understanding, obviously. And Nketiah doesn't, you know, carry the same kind of qualities that might enable some of the play that Martinelli had with Jesus. But Martinelli, similarly, is not looking to maybe give the ball as quickly and be as generous with it as he was when Jesus was there. So I'm I'm curious how you think about Martinelli's role in this game. And and if you don't feel he struggled, then then fair enough. I may have it wrong. But I I just think he's getting some of his decisions, some of his final moments wrong. And and in the last couple of games, he's been isolated out there on that wing. He's had opportunities. It, it's not what it was last season where the ball just never made its way to him. Zinchenko, who will come on to, enables a lot of access to Martinelli. So he really has to be important for us. And I, I thought it was a bit of a difficult game for him, admittedly, against, you know, again, the, the best defense in the league and the, the stronger side of that defense. Yeah, I think this whole game loaded onto certain people in different ways. Uh, I thought Newcastle protected the protected this castle really well. And by that, I mean from the side. So from, on the Saka side, they used, obviously, the left-back burn. They used Joe Willock a lot and, and Joel Linton a lot. They're three hard people to beat. You know, look at the massive bodies there and good athletes there. On the right-hand side, they use Trippier and is it Matty Longstaff on that side to really to create a wall. So everyone knows that we sh- we mm. shift the ball around the back, we go inside, then we flip it out to either of our 21-year-old superstars, right? And they normally get the ball into their feet and bang, they come straight inside, either with a dribble or a connection. It's either Shaka or Odegaard as a connectors. And then we get a rat attack going. But on the left-hand side, you're right, Ellis, a really good point. 
Jesus, he's a lot more the guy that comes to connect. And Shaka's the one that runs through into the box in a strange way. Yep. A lot of times when we were building attacks, Shaka's right in centre forward position or in that left eight up very, very high on the last line. So Shaka was still being Shaka, running through. But Eddie is not really connecting in the same way on that left-hand side per se. So Eddie's a different, he's got a different psychology when he walks on the pitch. Eddie walks on the pitch, he's saying, I'm a centre forward. And, and I do feel, he, by the way, if you look at his numbers, they're pretty good. But I do feel he's, he's and quite rightly, he's just come into the team, he's 23 years of age, and he's trying to make an impact. He's not being selfish, because he's still working hard. There's a, there's a bit of me that thinks sometimes he's holding the ball because he cares about his execution rather than the overall teams. And I'm not, I'm not, I don't say that sounded right, but you know what I mean? There's a couple of touches where it's the first time passing inside. That when you're the man, you've got four league medals in your pocket. No one's going to rollick you if you make that pass and it goes wrong. No one in the crowd's yep. going to go, oh, Jesus, what's up with that? Because they, because you've got the confidence, you've got the CV, you've got the track record, you can take mm. the risk. And I wanted, you know, there comes needs to a point where Eddie said, I'm going to take that risk. I'm taking it because I've made my turn. I've beaten the man and I'm going to flip it inside. Now, because of that, I think maybe the connection between, I think with um, Gabby Martinelli and Eddie wasn't quite sharp, mm. but they weren't the only ones. Do you know what I mean by that? That we weren't the only ones. We've uncovered a new emphasis and players shone and made a, maybe a couple a little bit more redundant. Because they, yep. because they shone. And I think not every game's going to look like this, but it is a window. I've got to say it, mate. It's a window into where we need to get better. You know, it yep. really is. Uh, no, it's, it's funny because Shaka, who has been so influential to our season, you know, a couple of players have come back from the World Cup, maybe slightly different, not totally given the same thing, but I think we've seen the last couple of games, a few moments where Shaka's involvement you know, he had goals and assists in him early on the season, and that's what you need the left eight to do, similar to what the right eight's doing. I see a way in which when we play with Zinchenko, the opportunity is there to get someone maybe slightly more offensive in their skill set in that left eight, right? When Tierney was there, I think Shaka has more responsibility as a connecting player. When Zinchenko's there, because he was so, so good, and he's so central to what we do, and he frees up movement and space and capability I think you need that that more offensive left eight there. Yeah. Or you could say that's when you can play with a Tierney who can go around the outside, around the outside, around the outside, and and then Martinelli can can get a little more central. I don't know. I think it's an interesting one for for Mikel. But to your point, you made a point about you know Newcastle, you know where they're going and where we're going. Newcastle have arrived earlier than they would have expected. You know, you're saying, you know, look at the way they played against us. Is it good for brand Newcastle? Two seasons from now, I don't think they'll be playing that way against us. I don't yeah. think Newcastle expected to be third this season any more than we expected to be first this season. Yeah. And so it's an interesting clash of two teams going places, but probably in the places they're at earlier than they expected to be. And you see some of the strain, some of the strain on our squad, which is not ready to be a title chasing squad at the moment. And yeah. some of the strain on their squad, which is not ready to go play scintillating football against the best team in the league. And so it's it's a really interesting contrast. But one player who is ready to play the football we want to play and has been since we've come back from the World Cup is Zinchenko. I think we should at least take a beat to celebrate him because what he is doing for us is really extraordinary. And I think, you know, 
one of the reasons I don't feel as panicked about Thomas party, you know, you don't hear us talking as much about, we got to get a party back up in, in, in the window. And you know, what do we get is, is because this guy's come in and almost become the hub of the midfield in himself, in himself. When we have the ball in the attacking third, he's, he's coming inside. He's going outside. He's, he's dropping deep. He's, he's pulling players out of position. I, I just think Zinchenko's role has, has really grown and having him back has added a layer to the way we're able to keep possession and, and break teams down. Yeah, he, he forces people back just by being so good in the ball, right? You can see the ball spinning around and slicing through you like but You're thinking, oh, I'm not having this. Yeah. I'm not going out to meet him. His touch is like silk. He's only going to turn away from me and, I, and I'm out of my hole, right? So Newcastle made that decision based on our control and technical level of our team. It's high. When they try to transition, we take it off them again. We're big bodies now there. Thomas Part is part of that. Sleeper. Gabriel, they're not interested. In fact, but the way it turned out towards the end, Sleeper and Gabriel were in midfield next to Thomas Party, and everything else moved forward about five, ten yards, right? Yep. So, and they were able to manage it because they're three bodies and you can't beat them in a race. So we have a security at the back end of our pitch, which has transformed us now. But yeah, Zinchenko, what you tell, and not every game is going to be like this, Helio, but this game, just mark it in your minds. Mark it in your minds. This game is going to happen more. And the, you know, I use the word redundancy. I've use it once in the podcast. I'll use it twice now. No redundancy in the team. And there was a little bit of redundancy in our left side of our pitch because the guy, Zinchenko, just did two jobs. Right? And then yep. suddenly... You need... So if this game was in April, I think we make a change. I think Vieira comes on, Smith is healthy, he comes on, and you know where he's coming on, Elliot. He's coming into that left-hand slot. Because, but because it's in January, and the most important thing is we don't lose it. They've got six-foot giants... And they have set pieces that are literally playing for them. I think we made a decision to be pragmatic. We can be pragmatic in January because we've only dropped barely any points. And Man City are losing our, are drawing our home to Everton, which is a bad home draw. So the most important thing for us is to not lose. But I think we need to think about how we can win these games. Although it's com- I'm comfortable with this one because Newcastle are third, best defence. But I won't be comfortable when it's uh, an Everton or somebody we yeah. shouldn't be dropping two points to in a home game. Then we got we let's fix this now and not wait till we drop two silly points, which we did towards the end of last season. Yeah, I think Arteta was probably caught between two minds because drawing at home to the meanest defense in the league, the third place team in the league, nil nil, when they played some anti football and you just didn't get the goal. It's not the worst thing narratively. Losing at home starts to let those questions that everybody's waiting to ask come back in. Oh, you know what? Newcastle, they got a little physical. Arsenal couldn't handle it. And they it was a smash and grab, sure. But Arsenal have a you know a glass jar. Like I think Mikel might have wanted to bring on a Vieira for someone, you know, might have liked I, to have made that tra- that change. On our on our settees, we were all thinking that, weren't we? But I didn't I wouldn't yeah. sh- I didn't see him warming up too much, mate. So. Didn't even have him warming up. No, that's my point. I think, like, let's put it this way. If this was, like, it sounds so obvious, but if this is May and we're and we're level in the title race or we're one point back with two games to play, I think Vieira comes on and we go for the win here. I think Mikel is thinking about it's a long season and this draw in the scheme of things, given the results that have just shook out, is fine for us. Don't lose it at home. Don't let that happen. So I'm not saying we played for the draw, but I'm saying we didn't push the boat out for the win. And so, you know, th- those are two slightly different things. But I, I mean, l- let's face it. Saying you could bring on Vieira isn't saying you can bring on, you know, 
Smith Rowe. It isn't saying you can bring on, you know, Lionel Messi. <laughs> like Vieira is a young kid, barely integrated, who's sort of an eight. And you're talking about, let's bring him on to try to win a game. Like it, it obviously raises the question of the, the squad depth. And I, I, you know, I mean, Clive, there are a lot of people. The only sub we made was a, was a right back for a right back. And I actually thought Tomiyasu played well, which was great to see. Yeah. Um, another game of rust for Saliba, but didn't hurt us. It's well, I, you know, uh, Ramsdale, by the way, man, like every once in a while, what are you doing, man? He had the one really dodgy, uh, held the ball too long, gave it away, got away with it, but won't want to, won't want to do too much of that. But I, I think with Ramsdale, we don't worry about it too much. Any, any, any keeper that's going to, Use the ball the way we use the ball with our keeper, whether it's Allison or Ederson or or yeah. Ramsdale. That's going to that. happen once in a while, but yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, are you as caught up in the one of the big talking points from this game as as a lot of people are, which is there was nothing on the bench to change it. And and I I always this makes me laugh because I don't think this happens. I don't think a manager in a title race hoping to win the league uses a game where three points are at stake to make a point, quote-unquote, to ownership. You know, there's always that argument, oh, you know what? He didn't bring on any attackers or even warm up any attackers because he's making a point to ownership that he doesn't have the what he needs. I mean, yeah, I get it. But is a manager going to do that with three points on the line at home? I, I just, I think that's a a very narrative-y read on it. But but what do you think about the fact that we didn't bring on any attackers and that there really weren't any to bring on? I mean, how how desperate is the situation if we really want to compete? Do you know? I, I, I think a lot of people believed we'd have a player in January 2nd. Hasn't happened, doesn't look close to happening. Yeah, we've got quite a light January game-wise, actually. We've got Oxford, which lots of players yeah, will play. And we got Spurs and I think that's the other one, the Man United, Man United, and that, and that's it. And then we go into it's the, not light in terms of importance, but certainly no. not a lot. It, it's not congested. Yeah, you know? exactly. So that desperation has left me slightly. Um, but hey, look, I felt we had one attack a light in the in the summer. I was not worried about centre midfield um, at all. Even once the injuries sorted themselves out, I wanted one more wide attacker because freshness and edge is key. And we saw what happens with our young players. Fortunately, Martinelli and Saka are quite robust injury-wise, but they because I think they've managed themselves during games, and they have quiet periods, and hence we question them when they do. But in this game with Martinelli, for example, he was our four-shot four shot guy, right? And he just scored a winning goal, and and Saka has major Header moments the corner, in the game. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Saka has major moments every single game. He's just decided, I'm the daddy here. I've scored three goals in the World Cup. This Premier League level, I can deal with this. I can deal with this. Not only can I deal with it, I'm going to lead the team. And three or four people are actually saying Jay Juicy's out and they're really trying to add their five ten percent to to cover the gap mm-hmm. that's been left behind. But in the end, fatigue will get you and it's 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 clear that we need some attacking edge there. And um you know, we're talking about was it a good day for, for Arsenal, a good day for Newcastle? I think it's a good day for Arsenal because it's clear. Good, good day for Mudrick's agent, is that what yeah. you're saying? <laughs> it's it's so clear what we need to do and we just need to do it. It's not even like a debate, really. You know, <laughs> we just need to. We need to do it. We're we're carrying some high risk factors in Smith Rowe. We d- we all hope he's going to come back and just be the same guy we that left us, but we don't know. And, he, and he's been out a long time. He needs the time. And Jesus, you know, we've got this date in late February in our minds, but he's not going to be Jesus that he left us immediately on day one. He needs a bit of time. And so we have to manage this, and that Europa League will kick in, and suddenly the schedule will look a lot more compressed 
that it does right now. And and we don't want to lose the people we have got walking and healthy. So it's it's an obvious discussion, Elliot. Is it one or is it two? It's definitely one. Is it two? And what does the second one look like? And uh, I heard a podcast the other day, I think it was Art Roche said something, I thought, again, he doesn't realise how good this was, but I'm going to tell him now. <laughs> but what he said was, um, we need something unique. And I thought, in attacking areas, I thought, yeah, we do. And I looked at Madrid and I thought, that's speed. We have that. We have that, but we need a little bit more. That's, that's raw speed attacking ability. And I'm just wondering, within the group, do we need something else unique and do we need size you know i'm just gonna throw it out there right do we need size in attacking areas i argue myself all the time do we need a little bit more like what joe felix would bring in a full nine position with lots of technical ability and ability to turn around yes, and surprise people i like it or do we need something with a bit more size to bring something completely different that could enable people in a different way around them and it's a di- I honestly don't care which way we go, but having uniqueness in our forward areas is important, you know. And um, when we add that, then we're creating new problems for people. And in this game, we couldn't create a new face offensively for Newcastle. It was just more of the same, and hoping it worked. So, challenge for the club. Yeah, and and I think it is hard. I mean, I, I will say, you know, I know I said I don't blame Newcastle for playing the way they did. I certainly don't. I think the problem with slowing the game down and stopping the game and slowing the game and stopping the game, it, it takes you out of your flow. It becomes really, really hard to establish. You know, how do you break down low block teams? Big, you know, quick switches, right? You hold the ball for a bit and then a big switch and they have to chase and like their legs tire, right? They get a little fatigued from defending for 10, 12, 15 minutes in stretch and you break them apart. But when there's stoppages constantly, you can't create that pressure. You can't create that sense of an impending goal. You know how like sometimes when a team's sitting deep, you're like, here it comes, it's coming. They've been sitting deep for a long time. They've been shifting side to side to side. We're going to pull them apart. When the game keeps stopping, you, you, you can't create that. But the one thing that I think we made easy for them, Clive, and I don't know if maybe, maybe, Ben White, it's, I, I was harsh on Ben White on the instant reaction as well. And 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 I think it was, maybe that one was more unfair than the Martinelli one. I think he was starting to fade and Mikel saw it and he took him out. But every time we isolated Saka on Dan Byrne, he roasted him. He killed him dead. And it was a feature early in the game. We did a couple times late. And then there were a couple of moments where Saka was on Dan Byrne and Ben White kept bringing another defender over to him and bringing another. And I was just thinking... You know, this this is where you got to really understand that right back position. He's got the beating of this man. You got to pull the guy away. You, you know, stay in the half space, stay short, be the option for him. And to be fair, there was one time when he was really open and calling for it and Saka didn't see him. But like Saka got to the byline late. I mean, we were inches away from a stonewall penalty where Saka got to the byline. Joe Linton sticks a foot in on a yellow in the box and just does get a toe on the ball. Otherwise, Saka's going over it. Joe Linton's off and, and we're at the penalty spot. But like... Is it frustrating to you that we didn't we didn't use more and more effectively the 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 matchup we had on the right flank? Because I really thought that that was going to be the story of the game early on, and we kind of went away from it. You know, in, in I way. thought New I thought Newcastle defended it, and this is one of the reasons why they. This is when sometimes both teams want to play their game, right? So I guarantee that Newcastle said, we're going to go long, stretch them in behind with with, with Wilson, push them back. And they're going to play in their half, be aggressive, and we get sit pieces. We'll take it. Then we we'll probably sit into our into our game, into our normal shape, and and see if they can score. Right. So they tried to go into our half. We went into their half. 
We ran around them, had three chances in seven minutes, smacked them in the mouth. They went, oh my goodness, we better box out. And they started yeah. to box out the sides. They started to protect, they started to protect their, their castle. And I thought they shielded the sides really, really well. And, mm. and so I, I understand, this is why I slightly disagree with you on Ben White, because I thought he did exactly what was required offensively with his attacking runs. I thought he devastatingly ran through them. And I've been critical when Bellerin did that in the past because I think he was bringing the cavalry with him. But in this case, the cavalry was already there. I needed to move the cavalry. Do you see what I mean? Because he was making those runs. He had no one to mark. Joel Linton was protecting against Saka. Joe Willett was protecting against Saka. So I've got to go. I've got to go. I've got to move one of those three mountains out of the way. Right? And and so he just stormed past them a couple of occasions. And they just weren't, they didn't really, they weren't buying it. Do you know what I mean? They didn't buy it. And so we didn't get that connection we normally see. And they blocked off Odegaard really, really nicely. They did well. They did well. And they caught us. I thought they hobbled Odegaard. And they stopped the little rat attacks going in that corner. They, they broke up our triangle by putting a triangle of their own. Right? And they said to, uh, they said to Arsenal, mate, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us with Granit Xhaka, not beating us with Odegaard. And that's why Granit Xhaka got about 48 progressive passes in that last eight, left eight position, wherever it was earlier. And, um, and yeah, and it did work out. But on that day, Granit Xhaka puts one in the top corner. We look here, we say, how look at Arsenal, we can attack down both sides. We're really inventive. We can't be stopped. But on this day, they got, they got the reward. And Xhaka and Eddie nearly connected to get the winning goal, but it didn't quite happen, right? So just take it, experience. I, I have to say, I don't think enough has been made of the Eddie chance and how well he did with it. He rolls his yeah. foot over it, strikes it beautifully. I don't know if I think Eddie's doing as good a job as other people do in the hold-up stuff and the connective stuff, but I think he's doing brilliantly as a center forward. I really do. And that's that's the stuff he can bring. Don't try to be Gabriel Jesus Mark II. Try to be Eddie and Keddie at best you can be, and I think he's doing it. Yeah. Pope just goes starfish and makes a beautiful save there. I, I think it is it is a case of a striker doing everything right and a keeper getting getting it exactly right and even a little lucky, right? That, that his leg winds up being right where the ball goes. Like, it's interesting. Yeah, it doesn't deflect off his fortunate. leg. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't deflect yeah, off his leg and goes in. It, like, th this, you know, look at, like, the, the West Ham game, right? We got a couple of the breaks, right? Yeah. Uh, Odegaard scuffs a shot, and where does it go? Goes right to Saka. Yeah. Brighton game couple breaks. Martinelli takes a shot. It rebounds. It bounces to Saka. Free in the box. Tap yeah. it, right? Eddie, we had yeah. a couple of those breaks. None of the breaks went in this game. And like, you know, you could say, oh, so you're saying we're winning lucky. Yes. You know how you win lucky? You have 70% possession. You have all the shots. You have all the pressure. We create enough pressure to deserve our luck. And in this game, I think we deserved it too, and it didn't fall for us. I can think of Odegaard shot when he should have passed inside the box. Odegaard late on, beautiful opportunity and just fires it in a rosette for no reason. Shaka, I think it was, was it Odegaard kind of miss scuffs his pass to Shaka in the box and Shaka can't quite get to it. There were a lot yeah. of these. There's one more. You know when um, Saka ran around Burn and he yes. couldn't find I looked at it again and I thought people tell me if I'm right. Saka's had a shot there. And mm -hmm. and basically Pope sticks his foot out very similar, but his right foot this time. And it yep. deflects out. That could easily deflect for his it, legs. I think it was I think it was counted as a shot too, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh yeah. So he takes a shot and that's a chance. Yeah, from if the it, byline like yeah. four yards out. Yeah. And if it hits his heel and goes in, we're just running away to a halfway line. Cheers. But like it's it's just one of those. And so I'm not I'm not concerned by how we played. 
I'm just I'm always looking at lessons learned. You know, what can we learn from it, yeah. and 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 what lessons are to be learned. And people are looking at those narratives right now around us against deep blocks. So that we've done really well against deep blocks. So that's the first time you've cracked it. First time you haven't scored, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah. so let's not pretend there's a problem there. But yeah, we learned some lessons potentially about how to manage this game in the future, how to manage the pressure of our details around the box. With a three-game block, seven from nine, we played two of the best coach teams in the league in Brighton and Newcastle in different ways. And we got our points from them. If we'd have drew up Brighton and won our home against Newcastle, we'd be we'd be pretty comfortable. You know, we'd be pretty yep, comfortable. Yeah, draw away to Brighton, win at home to Newcastle, everybody be saying pretty comfortable. Similar to the Leeds Look, Southampton we, thing when we when we won at Leeds, luckily, and then drew against Southampton. Say, you know, we'd four points from six, two away games in a week, good return. The way they, they happened, a little bit begrudgingly because Southampton are going to go down, right? So, um, so yeah, it's just the way football goes, right? Yep, yeah. Look, people are going to kill us if we don't talk about the penalty decisions. So we, we got to get to that. But, you know, you can't talk about penalties without talking about privates. Those two things go hand in hand. I don't know how, but they probably do. You know what? Decisions. Was it a good decision or a bad decision not to give a penalty? Is it a good decision or a bad decision to use a rusty old razor that's in your shower to shave your privates? I think you know the answer to that. And that's why. You got to go to manscaped.com and use promo code ArsenalVision to save 20% off and get free shipping. Three, two, one, happy new year from our friends at Manscaped. That's what it says here. It says the ball has officially dropped, but that doesn't mean you have to drop the ball on your balls in 2023. I don't know. You know what? I mean, whether you had a new year's kiss or not, the leaders in below the waist grooming have you covered for your much needed resolution to bring sexy back. I'm bringing sexy back. All right. Uh, join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer. It's a performance package 4.0. What does it get you? The Lawnmower 4.0. This, look, if all that was in there was a Lawnmower 4.0, it would be worth it. This is a tool that I use regularly, not that you want to know about that. And I'm pretty convinced, though, that, that you will like it because it works in the shower. It's wet, dry, incredibly long battery life, uh, wireless charging. You have um, a light so you can see what you're doing, by the way, which is really important. Skin-safe technology with ceramic blades to reduce nicks and cuts because that is really the key to this whole thing. You also have the Weed Whacker, which does the nose and ear hair, which unfortunately I've reached the age where that is critically important. There's toners. There's um, the Shed Travel Bag and the Anti-Chafing Briefs. Uh, the Boxer Briefs are fantastic. Like genuinely, genuinely I think my favorite boxer brief, especially like for exercising, uh, just because they keep everything where it needs to be. Again, things you don't want to hear about. So uh, this one includes the ultra premium body wash as well, plus a two-in-one shampoo and the body deodorant. So it's everything you need. It's all in there. You don't want to miss it. And the only way to get it is by going to manscaped.com and using promo code ArsenalVision to save 20% off and free worldwide shipping. 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. Time to feel sexy and free this 2023 with Manscaped Clive. Is that number that? Indeed. Nailed it. Okay. By the way, like, unless they, you know, start uh, advertising on us again, we're going to have to change your little tagline there. We haven't seen the advertising. In some time, yeah, can't be doing that. Um, so okay, uh, although I did give some free advertising to my failed tech startup, so you know, I guess everybody gets everybody gets one. Um, yeah, that's a whole other story, though. Whole other story, Clive. The penalty shouts. Um, I think, like, I hate overemphasizing them because it makes it sound like sour grapes, like, oh, we should have won, we should have gotten a penalty, and like, I still think if a like. If a ref gives a penalty wrongly against you and it costs you the game, 
I feel like that's taking the game from you. If a ref doesn't give you a penalty you think you deserved, it doesn't take the game away from you. You know what I mean, right? Giving the other team a goal can take the game away from you. Not giving you a penalty doesn't take the game from you. It's still there for you to go win it. So it was still honest to go win it. I want to be clear about that. But I think there are two reasonable penalty shouts. The handball one, I was convinced was not a penalty. I saw the reverse angle and I posted on Twitter. And all I said is, that looks bad. And a lot of people got mad at me. You don't understand the laws. You don't understand. Like, all I said is it looks bad. It looks bad from that angle. I still don't think the handball one is a penalty that I want to see given. Because in general, I think the guy's turning his body. He's got one hand outstretched. If it hits that one, it's a penalty. The one that he's trying to shift down that it does hit, I don't want that given as a penalty. The Gabriel one, the the you know the pull of the shirt, I, I don't understand in a VAR era how that one isn't a penalty. So that's my take on it. I don't think I want the handball given, but the Gabriel one for me is... And, and I get it. There's some grappling on every set piece, and you got to be careful about starting to give penalties on for grappling. Yeah. But we saw Odegaard get the yellow for the shirt pull right outside the box. You got to be consistent. Gabriel's getting choked out by his own shirt. I, I don't see how that's not a penalty. Do you see the two similarly? Yeah. If the referee has seen the grabbing, if the VAR would have said, did you see that? And he would have said, well, no, I didn't see it. If he said, no, I didn't see it, then they're going to look at it and they're going to say, well, you need to look at this, mate. Do you know what I mean? And um, and give a penny. But he probably said in the area, yeah, I saw that. It wasn't enough. And so VAR are not going to overturn that, right? So so for me, the but team's VAR's been... got to say, mate, you've seen it wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I'm just I'm just trying to be I'm trying to be pragmatic here and just sort of say yeah, I get it. I just what I it. think <laughs> the process is. Right. So and so whether I, you know, I I I think there's a new Howard Webb is now in charge of referees, right? And he said something the other day, he said, We're only gonna bring VAR in when things leap out of the screen. So I have to be honest with you, when that ball went into the box, I did not see a penalty leaping out of the screen. Right. When we do the replays, I saw a penalty leaping out of the screen. Right. So yeah. if it didn't leap out, do we want VAR to step in? Now at the moment we're a little bit bruised, could we drop two points? But I don't want that happening against us. What I don't want, and this is what I don't want. I don't want the silly first penalty that Spurs got against us last year when just a little touch in the back and he's flung himself forward and the game was changed. Now, I think That's Arteta... That's never been a penalty ever. Never yet. been a penalty. That's <laughs> You can't decide football matches like that. First goals are important. That's the stuff we have to be watching, right? Let the players win the game. Now, I think Arteta did something here that was quite smart. He used the word scandalous. And, and sometimes on his podcast, I use phrases so people can remember what I've said. Right, so, mm. and I pick words particularly. I, I use read my the nom- transcript of what you've said after the pod, Clive. So it's very easy for me. I just read the transcript. And I try to memorize it. And then- I use particular words to cap to wrap around something so people can remember it and it explains it in their minds. Right, and what Arteta used, he picked that word specifically. He didn't pick it for this day. He picked those words for Spurs, mate. Those words will be in the referees' minds for Spurs away. When last year the game was taken away from us with an individual with an individual decision, in my opinion, and and their scandalous decisions on bookings thereafter, and Rob Holder was in got himself in the washing machine, right? And so mm-hmm. he's laying the ground. Lads, don't mess about with us this year, because we're coming to play. Let us play. Don't all these all the talk sport and all these newspapers are worried about Arteta sort of losing his mind? Nah, I'm not worried at all. You carry on doing what you're doing. 
lay the ground for Arsenal to be a referee properly. You know, that's what I want. Properly. We're not going to, we're not having it. You've got to make sure you referee properly. You're not taking games away from us because we're a serious team now. And so in some ways, he needs to overreact right now to lay that ground for future weeks and months when it really matters. Because we're going to be at the top table from going forward. And these decisions mean something when you're at the top table. When you're battling for eighth, it don't mean much. But when it, when you're at the top, it means a lot. And I, I'm fully behind him doing that because all the other managers have done exactly the same thing to re-establish their clubs at the very top of the game. Yeah. Yeah, look... I I like the idea that penalties should be harder to get. I do like that. I listen to the Arscast and I really agree with a point that was made there. You'll find surprising. That changing the way games are refereed mid-season is a bad idea. Because you give, or the way VAR is used, which is what they're doing. Because you give fans then that perfect narrative talking point of, well, here's three videos from games earlier in the season and now look at the one we didn't get and how is this fair? That's the problem. Whether you give every single thing as a penalty or nothing as a penalty, all the fans want is for it to be consistent. They want to be able to see a decision in one game and see a decision in another game and say, I see same decisions. So that seems consistent. When you change the rule midseason, you create all this fodder for, oh, great. So we dropped a point here because of this decision. But like, we're going to be talking about the Martinelli disallowed goal at Old Trafford for years if we lose well, this title by a, a point that, or two. That's a great example of something that didn't leap out of the screen, but they went back and re-refereed it. Now, that's that should have stood. It never leapt out of the screen. The referee actually said, play on, right? And and then he was asked to look at it again. Now, they, they picked on something that didn't leap, and I think now they've changed. And so it's a really good point. And we need to land. I prefer this way around for most of you. I prefer if referees there saying play on during the game, then let the game go. Unless it's absolutely something he hasn't seen and missed that's egregious. And, and I didn't think it's just quite as egregious as it as we all felt. You know? And yeah. I've got to be honest about this and say how you feel, because if it happened to us, we'd be really disappointed. I, I in general, I don't like grappling fouls in the box to be penalties. I do think when you choke someone out with their shirt, like the optics of it scream penalty. Yeah. There there are certain things where the optics just scream penalty, right? Like the optics of the handball, when I watched it, it didn't look like how I think of a handball penalty. Now you can say laws of the game this or laws of the game that. Did The optics of the Gabriel one look like a penalty. There was another one, by the way, on Enkedia where he was sort of grappled in the box, trying to turn and arms around him, and it wasn't given. You know, again, that's one that I, I'm okay with. I think the Gabriel one, I want. But, like, that's I also one. think this that's is the, the thing. You, you set the tone in the referee's mind for the kind of game that's being played. And what I mean is, you know, think of a Merseyside derby where challenges are flying in. The referee's going to let some things go because there's the expectation the game's going to be physical. I think because Newcastle set this tone of, we're going to be physical with Arsenal today. You have a referee who then says, okay, this is going to be a physical game, so I'm going to let physicality go. You know what I mean? Like They get narratively invested in how the game's being played. And so, you know, if that's if that's Arsenal versus Bournemouth, I think we get the penalty. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> like it's going to be a tippy-tappy game, and, and yeah, there may not be as much combativeness. But like against Newcastle, who are big and brawny and going to go toe-to-toe with us physically, I think the ref gets invested in that kind of stuff. But yeah. ultimately... 
I can live with penalties not being given more than I can live with penalties wrongly being given. Because at least at nil-nil, you still have a chance to go try to win that game on your own. You yeah. have the opportunity to go try to win the game. What I can't live with is soft penalty given against you. Like like the Spurs one, right? Oh, We're now I'll a counterattacking team as a one-nil game. You've been playing well for 20 minutes, and now you have to commit more to the attack, and they can sit back and play the game they want to play, right? Where they don't have to attack at home in front of their fans. That's way where more Where their important. fans aren't going to get antsy. So 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 I have, I have more sympathy for this way of officiating than that way. I still think the call's wrong. I think the bigger wrongdoing here is the second the, penalty. Yeah, well, and and for me, the bigger wrongdoing is just changing the way you're going to referee games midseason oh. is is a recipe for for fans pointing to earlier incidents and saying there's a lack of consistency, and I I do think that is that is frustrating. Overall, I mean, you know, you know, just yeah. remind me already again. Do you remember the Jesus penalty against Liverpool, where where he got the clip and he gave it? I could have easily gone the other way, easily yeah, gone the other way, easily. And this was one of those 50-50 ones. Way for sure. Yeah, this was a 50-50 one that went our way. We accepted Jesus' one, and I really enjoyed that day. Right? So, but on this day, it didn't quite go away. Now, looking away on camera, that's a penalty. But I'm also conscious of the future and how the game is managed. And I don't want that given against us, even though that was more of a penalty than a handball, in my opinion. Let me ask you, Another thing that's become narratively part of this game's conversation. Use the word narrative a lot today. Um, there's a lot of narrative out in football. You may you may notice that. Mikel on the touchline. So I have two thoughts on this. Uh, Paul kind of got, not stuck in, but Paul had Arteta's antics as a stock falling on the instant reaction. You can find him on Twitter <laughs> at Pause My Pants. Um, uh, I, so I have two thoughts, right? And this is so typical of football. The way we rally, the way we're tribal. I kind of agreed. Until journalists started getting stuck into McCallum. Now I don't agree at all, right? Yeah, exactly. Now I'm like, no, no, screw you. Talk about something else. Um, I've seen I've I've seen Jurgen Klopp, everyone's darling, menace the fourth official with gritted teeth. I've seen Jose Mourinho attack people and knee slide on the pitch. I, maybe not in the Premier League, to be fair. You know, I've seen um who was it, Tuchel and uh Conte get into this weird handshake war. I don't know why the media is so fixated on Mikel, but I will confess that I think there are times where your manager projecting a little more tranquility and and being a little, I, I get it. He's still close to his playing career. He wants to kick every ball. He, he is so invested. I, I get it. I think you have to be able to ramp up the moment at times for sure. But I think as a manager, another string in your bow has to be the ability to to transmit some tranquility and let the players feel that tranquility and not get wrapped up in the in the the frenetic energy that you're giving off. I, I think this stuff is really marginal, by the way. It's not 10% of the game. It's 0.1% of the game. I can't... The reason I don't agree with the media is the media is portraying it as he's somehow a disgrace or it's, you know, it's, it's not appropriate. Appropriateness can go out the freaking window, look at football, none of it's appropriate. But in terms of whether it helps the team, I'm, I'm more curious how you think about Mikel's touchline behavior in terms of helping the team. Yeah, so there was a while ago we weren't very relevant in the football world and no one was talking about us at all. We're now we're now relevant again. And this is this is a, an indicator that we are back because now they're talking about this type of stuff. I think um for me I think I I like the way he does it, but it's going to be it's going to be used against us and in in, in a way 
What's our recent track record say, Elliot? Our recent track record says last year we blew the top four. We didn't handle the pressure. So the first time we have a pressure moment, they're going to they're look to see how we handle it. And we've handled it really well so far this year and won almost every game. Apart from three games, which one of them we should have won, as you well know. Right? So, so basically, they're thinking, they're using this and making it about us handling the pressure. We're still a young team and they're looking for that crack in us. They're looking for that story in us. We're looking to crack the cannon, yeah. mate. And this is the first thing they can talk about. And I'm just smiling to myself because I think the manager is, is in total control and knows exactly what he's doing. And we just have to support. You do you do exactly what I've done today. He said, yeah, mate, I'm not having this. You journalists, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to come for you. And I'm sure Arsenal fans are doing that right now, right? And then we've got to protect our our house we've got to protect it and um so yeah i'm i'm okay with it however i will say this there's in a bit in feedback there's always a hint of truth one of my sayings and we have got to outwardly manage the pressure slightly better because there were moments in this game where i felt we were on the edge to conceding a man down to 10 men we've done this before we doesn't go our way we get very emotional as a group, as a club, fans, we get very emotional and we have to be conscious of that lesson, which I think we were in this game. Shaka, brilliant. Didn't get a second yellow card when I thought he would need to be taken off. There were people, didn't do anything silly. You know, Gabriel's done it in the past, for example. Man City at home last year. Very unfortunate, but it cost us, you know. Many games where we've managed to find ourselves to 10 men, we didn't do it. We managed the game out and ended the game strongly and learn some lessons about our future, and learn some lessons about managing the emotion. I think it's a really good yeah. stake in the ground for Arsenal. I really do, as long as we react to the things which are obvious, which is our depth, et cetera, et cetera. So, mate, I, I'm okay with it, while recognising there's a hint of truth in that feedback. So we need to be wary of our perception and the narrative that's going around our manager on the touchline. Yeah, I, I think that's well said, and I think... <coughs> ultimately what we know is that Arsenal's having the best season we've ever had start wise these players seem extremely motivated to play for this coach this manager and uh that's all you can read into right whatever he's doing is working I, you know i i think you know no one's complaining about this stuff when you're winning we're hardly losing we draw a game and suddenly it's mikel's antics and I, I get it, right? I mean, I I understand why he was so worked up. The game was being wrecked. And and I don't mean, like, when I say that, it's not me saying, like, I'm blaming Newcastle. You have to play the game, and you have to set the tone, and you have to respond to what the other team does, and there's just no way around that. They tried to wreck the game. By the way, we've played other games against Newcastle like this. I can think of the famous... Is it a Thomas Vermeilen late winner? There was also a Robin Van Persie late winner. Yeah. Against Newcastle. Was it Van Persie against Newcastle when they had been time wasting and the goalkeeper had been time wasting? Yeah, the, is it a it? Tim Krul game? I think it was a Tim Krul game Tim one time. Tim Krul. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Van Persie late winner. And then suddenly, you know, everyone's giving it to Krul and Krul's trying to restart quickly and we're not giving them the ball back. It was, it was beautiful. Story. We're not good at time wasting. We, we, as a fan group, we're not happy with time wasting. And, uh, no, we don't like that. We don't is, like that, it. Is like that is a discussion. That is a discussion. I think. Well, let me just ask you this about the time wasting. So to finish the point on Mikel, like I understand why he was so animated. I mean, I think that, to his credit, yeah, he had a little fracas on the touchline with Eddie Howe, 
Full time walks over, gives him a handshake, right? You know, the, like, and I know the, the English media loves a handshake narrative, but Mikel didn't like, he didn't blank him. He didn't spit on him. He didn't do any of the things that are regarded as worse than breaking an ankle in, in football media. Um, you know, he walked over, he gave him a hang, handshake. He, he took his medicine. It was a frustrating game. And that frustration transmitted to our young manager. Do I think that a little bit of equanimity being transmitted from the touchline can help at times? Sure. But I think as fans, we really believe that's 40% of the game when it's like, you know, 0.01% of the game. We, I think yeah. sometimes the things we like to talk about as fans because they're interesting actually matter very, very little on the pitch, right? And I'm sure if you ask Bukayo Saka, hey, did you not win that game because your manager was jumping around like a crazy person? He'd be like, I, I didn't even notice it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I wouldn't get too invested in it. I, I do wonder, um, you know, in terms of, the the extra time, the five minutes. Do you have an issue with that? Like a lot of people now talking about the World Cup timekeeping was the way to go. Um, you know, and some people, oh, there's TV commitment. Get out of here with the TV commitments nonsense. Come on. Like that's that's got nothing to do with anything. What about the timekeeping though? The thing I'll say about the World Cup timekeeping is it basically rubbishes the idea of time wasting because you don't benefit from it. I've always had a thought, which was if you've time wasted, like the referee should keep two watches, right? The time we waste and the time they waste. And if on 90 minutes we're leading, they don't get the time back. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? So if you've time wasted, but you're trailing, you don't get the time back. If you're time wasting, you know, and, and you're, you're leading, then you get punished for it. But obviously I know that's never going to happen. I'm being a little silly, but what did you think about the five minutes on the board and not, um, and not being more than that? I, I think 53 minutes, there were 53 scoreless minutes in this game, not 90. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So on Arteta briefly earlier, I think he used the time quite nicely of the stoppages. And he went and you know, and coached well in those gaps, and we ended we ended the game strong. So I, I'm 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 fine with what he's doing. I think um, on the time wasting side of things, you know my thoughts. Been consistent on the podcast for a long time. Take the take the clock out of the referee's hands. Mm. They've got they've got enough to do, right? The concept of time being a mystery to the punter. Is just so outdated. Why are we watching a sport when we don't know when it's going to end? And we don't know how much time is going to be added on. What, what are we talking about here? It's just too important. But what? How can we have a situation where you're waiting for someone to put up a time in an unscientific way and decide if it's 3, 4, 5, 6, 9, 10, 11. Man City had 11 minutes the other day. I think there might have been interesting in that game. But 11 minutes. And... It can't be a mystery. As soon as you lack transparency in anything that you're doing, just make it transparent. There's opportunity there. and It's coming. It's coming. It's going to change. The World Cup was the first trigger to this. They managed it in the way they could within the laws of the game that are currently there. There will soon be a tournament happening soon, a youth tournament where they're going to manage the clock differently if it's not already happened. And they need to look at it because it's, it's too important. And for me, you need to protect the game. You need to protect the game. If people want to do that, that's absolutely fine. But they can't benefit on the backside of that as well. They can't. They've got to be able to. Football is a, an aerobic game, and it's a flow game. And trust me, I found my level in the game when I couldn't catch up to the players that were better than me, and they were running around me. And Newcastle were able to manage those gaps because they were able to be rested in this game, and it worked for them. And they did exactly what they could do with the laws of the game that's in front of them. It's up to their game to protect itself. Um, that's not to, to punish these teams, but let them know that this is going to be managed. 
That's all. Mm. That's all it is. Yep. It's going to be managed within the game. You can decide if you want to hang in there for 100 minutes, you hang in there for 100 minutes. If you play the game properly, it'll be 93 minutes. And we go from there, right? So that's that's how I want to see the game change. Some people don't like a running clock, whatever, or pure time clock, whatever they call it. I'm not sure the answer, but I just want to make sure that if the game controls itself properly, then nothing stupid will be done to it. You know, I don't want to see things like quarters, Elliot, or, you know, quarters and advertising breaks and things like no, that. So Manage the game properly, then you you won't get managed. Does that make sense? So this is the problem, right? The, the, the average, it looks like the average is around 65 minutes of ball in play, right? So you could just play two halves, 60, you know, I mean, you could just go down to 60 minutes of ball in play and do a 30-minute half and a 30-minute half with a stop clock. You'd get the exact amount of time you need every single time. Time waste, be my guest. Stay down as long as you like. Now, I'll come on to that in a moment. The problem with that, of course, is you're going to get you're you're going to get advertising breaks, and nobody wants that. I mean, exactly. I'm sure the league does. I'm sure the game does. You're the people running the game who stand to benefit from it. Um, but nobody else wants that. I don't want that. So if you're going to keep a running clock. I think you could take the decision out of the referee's hand and go to the World Cup style. Um, but then, to be fair, the, the players are playing more. You know, uh, they're out there longer. I, you know, I wonder what the the ramifications that would be. Let me let me say this about a stop clock or a longer running clock. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that people need to appreciate. Right? It's not just the minutes of ball in play. It's the flow of the freaking game. It's got, I don't care that there were 53 minutes of, of ball in play. Clive, if the ball was in play 53 minutes, but 53 consecutive minutes without a stoppage, we win this game 3-0. It's not the number of minutes that cost us. If that board had gone up and said nine minutes, we may still not score. You know why? They'd muck up the game. They'd lay on the pitch. They'd kick it out. for. T- the reason this game was ugly and the reason we couldn't find a goal is because we couldn't get into flow after 15 minutes. I don't think it is the minutes of ball in play, Clive. I think it is that that the approach, it creates the ability to break the game into little bite-sized pieces. It stops the flow. It stops you having to react to quick ball movement. So for me, it isn't as much about the minutes in play. Do I think that this was 53 instead of other games that were 58 is why we didn't get a goal? No, I think it's more the 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 stop-start nature and what that does to the game, if you yeah. understand and it, I, I do understand you, and it, it, it is part of it. Yeah. When the referee is stopping and booking people, that's that's not classed as ball in playtime, right? Don't think of it as over the touchline. It's actually the ball moving around the pitch is how they measure in play, I believe. Right. So, say, hey, look, it's a game of flow. That's the soul of the game. It's a it's a game yes. of momentum that so we all can see when a goal is coming. It's exciting when you get pressure. That's football. Now, American football is play-by-play stuff, right? It's play-by-play, moment-by-moment, big stuff, big effort, explosion, collision, big stuff. It's a different game. Rugby's a bit more like that. Lots of stops, scrums, line-outs, stops, collisions, moments. Football's about flow. And let's make sure it stays about flow because that's the sport. You know, let's yeah. make sure it's well a game of of running and flow and technique under pressure and speed, and it's not a game of restarts. 
and people lying on the floor pretending they're injured, lying on the floor getting cramped, because that's not going to bring the people in, right? So, um, yeah. hey, look, just, this is not just about this game, in it? Because I'm happy, not so happy with the point, but I'm cool. This is something we spoke about many times in the podcast before, right? And um, the World Cup was a good example of that, that at least they know there's a problem. That hasn't happened out of nowhere. They know there's a problem. Uh, yeah, I don't have a problem with the way Newcastle approached the game. They did it within the laws of the game. The refereeing style allowed them to do it, and it wrecked the game for us the way we want to play. And other teams are going to try to do that. We're going to have to find a way through. One way you find your way through, you get a goal in the first 15 minutes, they can't play that way. Yeah. Right? You, you're you're going to have to get earlier goals because as the game wears on, you're going to see more and more of this. Um, last, last thing. I know you got to get out of here. Do we need to strengthen this month if we want to keep the title challenge going? Presumably, we'll get Smith Rowe back. We'll get Jesus back. I think things will look a lot different. I think we've been handed a huge, huge advantage. Having Oxford on Monday before the Derby, I think we need some rest. I think we, we're we maybe lacking that 2% of sharpness in the last 30 minutes of the last two games. Um, I think we'll benefit from that rest, and I think we'll go into the Derby really ready to to rock Spurs at their place. But do we need to strengthen? Do we need to strengthen before that game? Uh, I don't think I'd like us to, but it's not it's not absolute because of the fact we have got time between games this month, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to be calm and not be throwing money around, right? So, um, but mate, after that, it need, we need to be really focused on this. This is this is the game. This is the game. We're in a five sub world. This is the game, and um, yeah, we have to maximize our opportunity. But I will say, I'm dreaming of the title like everybody else. I'm dreaming of it. I want to give it a good go. But, mate, as I've said it on here many times, I'll say it again. I don't want no more Europa Club, Europa League music. I've had enough of it. Right? It's all about Champions League. Let's keep that in focus, right? Keep that in focus. Go for the stars, but make sure that we are listening to Wednesday Night Music next season. That's number one for me. Going to have some special podcasts for you next week. Really, really fun stuff. We will not have a Monday pod because we play Monday. We may have a, a Patreon something on Monday, um, but we will not have a Monday pod. I will have the instant reaction for patrons, but but the main pod doesn't make sense to do with the day we play. So we'll do that on Tuesday. There will be a lot of fun stuff next week, though. So look out for that. Uh, really, really excited. I'm going to be seeing Clive in person, which I look forward to doing, of course, and Tim as well. Um, okay, Clive, you can find you on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I just said that. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Thanks for being here, everybody. Season's still going great. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Oxford. Nope.